Hey, it's Ella and Daddy, and you're listening to the Not Me But You podcast, where our goal is to speak out the truth of the Bible so that our listeners may be encouraged to live in a manner worthy of their calling. Together, we pray that God would use this episode to strengthen and guide you on your faith journey. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. Today we have a special guest with us today. Um, My pastor is with us and we're going to be talking about creation and evolution and science and all that stuff about how the world all came to be. So we're really excited to have you here with us today, Pastor. Um, Would you just like to start by introducing yourself and just share a little bit about you? Sure, sure. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you too. I think this is really cool what you're doing. Uh, My name is Kent Otterman, and I grew up in Mason City, Iowa, a long time ago, compared to how old you (laughs) two are. Um, And uh, I went to uh, Trinity Lutheran Church there in Mason City, along with my parents. My parents are very strong Christians, and I pretty much always took my Christian faith quite seriously, even as a young child going to church and Sunday school. There was one particular incident that I kind of remember. Um, we went, my parents and I went to uh, an evangelist. Uh, it was a Lutheran evangelist. There were such things way back then. <laughs> and I was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years old. And uh, he preached the gospel and talked about heaven and hell and, um, you know, anyone who wanted to make sure they were going to heaven could raise their hand during a prayer time, and then afterwards you'd come forward and talk to a counselor. And And I remember raising my hand three times that <laughs> night because they I, I, our eyes were closed during this time. And I want to make sure he saw my hand being just a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of a watershed moment for me at that point. Mm-hmm. And then grew up and uh, went to high school in Mesa City. Graduated in 1973, again, a long time ago. <laughs> Went to uh, Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma for college. Mm. <clears throat> Majored in Bible. Then went to Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Became a Lutheran pastor. Felt like God was calling me into um, the ministry uh, and into the church of my childhood because I went to a Lutheran church as a child. and. So after seminary, I got married my last year of seminary to my wife, Kathy. And uh, we started out in Caledonia, Minnesota. As I was an assistant pastor there for seven years, and I moved to the Albert Lee area in uh, the year 2000. No, excuse me, 1988 is when we moved. And uh, I've been in the Albert Lee area since that time as a pastor. Uh, so, and I pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church, uh, where Ella's a, a member, mm-hmm. and uh, also at Ron Prairie Lutheran Church, which is south of Everly and I-35, a little white church there. Then I'm also the chaplain at Good Samaritan Nursing Home in Alberly. So that's pretty much what I do at this point. No, that's awesome. So Ella's been telling me that you're <clears throat> super interested in evolution and creationism and like to throw that into, you know, your preaching and your sermon. So can you just give us, like... What got you interested in pursuing this and interested in this topic? You know, um, 
I remember going to some seminars in Albert Lee a number of years ago on this topic of creation versus evolution, and I thought the speakers at these seminars were very, very interesting and made a strong case that the Bible is <clears throat> God's Word, and we can trust it not only in matters of spiritual things and the gospel and that kind of thing, but when it talks about creation as well. And there's really, in my study, a great deal of scientific evidence for creation as the Bible talks about it. Um, why do I believe in, in creation as the Bible presents it? Number one, because the Bible is the Bible, it's God's mm -hmm. word. But number two, because as I just said, there's a great deal of scientific, scientific information that points to um, what we would call a young earth, as well as to the flood of Noah's time. There's a great deal of scientific information that most students, most people never hear in like public schools uh, because the public school system, for example, is, has been, I would say, what, taken over by those of the evolutionary perspective. Yeah. I definitely agree, going <clears throat> to public school myself. And I know Addie was homeschooled, so she didn't get that mm -hmm. quite same experience. But Yeah, I definitely had science that was backed with creation, which I'm super yeah. thankful for now, looking That's back really on good. that. Yeah. Yeah. So most young people, if they go to public school, do not ever hear about this evidence. Right. And also the fact that evolution has, so, evolution has really bad science. Let me just say that. It's bad science. <laughs> It really is. And we can talk about that. You know, there's so many problems with evolution from a purely scientific perspective. Right. Before we get started, do you want to just define for our audience what we're meaning <clears throat> when we say creationism and evolution and just kind of the differences between those two? Sure. Well, so creation or creationism, as the Bible presents it, says that there's an all-powerful, almighty God mm -hmm. who created the whole universe, including our earth and all life on the earth. The Bible says that God created um, everything in six days and rested on the seventh day. That's pretty straightforward, just what the Bible says. Evolution uh, is a teaching, the belief that there was no God. There was no higher power. There was no designer who designed this world. But everything came to be purely from natural forces, no supernatural power involved, but purely natural forces. And everything came to be because in that view, the right conditions were here on this planet for life to start basically on its own without a creator, and then to evolve from simple, so-called simple creatures um, into more complicated, more complex creatures over time, over millions or even billions of years. So evolution is, is an effort to explain how everything got to be here, how life got to be here, apart from a creator. Now the problem is, in my mind anyway, <clears throat> well there's a number of problems, but <laughs> a lot of Christians want to combine the Bible with evolution. And that's called theistic evolution. Theistic, theos meaning God. Okay, so basically saying that God used evolution, the process of evolution, to 
create life on this planet. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is that uh, evolution began as a belief, and it's really what it is, it's a belief, it's not really a scientific theory as theories go, but it's a belief that there was no God. It's a way to explain life on this earth without a God. So there's no reason to put God into evolution and try to combine the two, even though a lot of Christians do. And a lot of Christians do that simply because they believe that evolution is a fact. Mm. They've been taught it's a fact. Well, if it's a fact, then we got to somehow combine God with it. But the truth of the matter is it's not a fact at all. It is simply, we talk about it being a theory, it's actually more of, scientifically, it's a hypothesis, um, something that cannot be proven and is not proven. It's just a, it's a belief. Right. Creation is a belief. We believe the Bible is God's word. We believe that. Evolution is a belief too. In a sense, they're both beliefs. They're both matters of faith. But what I believe is when you look at the science, it really supports the creation as the Bible teaches it much more than it supports the theory of evolution. Right. I think that's where a lot of people get caught up with the whole evolution theory is that it's fact. But like you just said, it really is Mm -hmm. just a hypothesis at the end of the day, and we can't claim that that has been proven in any way so and if i could maybe distinguish between a couple kinds of evolution one one thing that helped me when i was in college was learning the difference between microevolution and macroevolution because the word evolution itself simply means change basically Mm. okay because we use the word evolution to talk about you know my my thoughts on this topic evolved over time Sure. Simply meaning that they changed over time, you know, that kind of thing. So microevolution is small changes. Micro means small. Macro means large, large changes. So as, as people who believe in the Bible, we have no problems with what's called microevolution. That is that there, are, there have been changes in different kinds of creatures over the years. So what the Bible teaches is that God created all the kinds of animals, for example, according Mm -hmm. to their kind. So God created the frog kind. He created the horse kind, you know, um, the elephant kind. So say, for example, within the frog kind that God created, we believe as creationists that God created within that frog kind a number of uh, different genetic possibilities. So as time has gone on, frogs have multiplied and lived in different environments. They have uh, been born with different kinds of characteristics, all because God created that possibility. Mm -hmm. And so there's bullfrogs and there's tree frogs and there's whatever there are, you know. Um, Same with dogs. God created the dog kind and there's obviously different kinds of dogs out there, right? right? That's called microevolution. The theory that's taught within the classroom, typically in public schools, is macroevolution, where, again, life came into being on its own. 
which is a problem right there because it's never ever been observed. You know, life from non-living chemicals, all of a sudden there was a lightning strike in a <laughs> pond or something, yeah. and these non-living chemicals, because of the lightning strike, came together and life happened. That's a belief. That's not a scientific fact. That's only a belief. That's only a conjecture. But that started according to this theory of evolution, and then complex, more and more complex animals uh, created. So eventually the frog would eventually turn into, let's say, an elephant, given enough time. Mm -hmm. See, that's, that's the crazy <laughs> part of evolution, in my mind. That's just yeah. plain... Right. To me, it's more outlandish to go yeah. from a frog to an elephant than to think that there was actually a creator out there. Exactly. Right. It takes much more faith to believe in evolution, macroevolution, in my mind, than it does to believe that there's a god. Right. who created all the kinds of animals. So there's microevolution, the different kinds of frogs that develop. We have no problem with that as creationists at all. Different kinds of horses, different kinds of dogs, different kinds of cats, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but one kind of creature does not change into a totally different kind of creature. That's where the problem comes sure. in. Sure, sure. So um, with the theories about like, monkeys and apes evolving into <clears throat> humans, would that fall under the macro evolution category? Yes, I believe it would. But, you know, people just get focused on that monkeys turning into man aspect of it. Because really, what the theory of evolution teaches is that pond scum <laughs> came alive. You know, little mm -hmm. creatures in the pond just came alive. And that turned into man, mm. given enough time. You see the yeah. craziness of that theory? Yeah. That's just plain crazy in my <laughs> right. mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It really is. So, um, but if you don't believe that there is a God, if you believe that we have to explain how life got here from purely naturalistic or materialistic um, ways, Evolution is what they've come up with. Mm -hmm. If I could, could I read a quotation here? Sure. From one of my books. This is an interesting book called Evolutionists Say the Oddest Things. Hmm. And there's some very interesting quotes by evolutionists here. Um, this one I thought was really interesting. By Richard Lewontin, who's an evolutionist. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. When we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment a commitment to materialism. Mm. In other words, there's no supernatural. Everything's physical, okay? It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but, on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation 
and a set of concepts that produce material explanations. No matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. And this last statement is very interesting. Moreover, that materialism is absolute. For we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Hmm. So evolutionists, pure evolutionists, if you want to use that word, not theistic evolutionists, but evolutionists say, this is a theory to explain how life got here. We cannot allow God. We cannot allow a divine foot in the door. It's all purely materialistic, naturalistic understanding of how things got here. So here's the point. Evolutionists, at least pure evolutionists, are not open-minded to the possibility that there's a creator. Right, right. It's really interesting, though, because they're, <clears throat> in a way, denying the truth and looking in all the wrong places just to mm -hmm. prove their point. And coming up with absurd <laughs> science um, to back yeah. it up. Absolutely. So this is why they're not looking at any of the evidence that, that supports what the Bible says about God creating and a young earth and the flood. They're not looking at that at all because they don't believe any of it mm -hmm. is even real. Right, right. So is there, you're saying there is such evidence. So do you have examples of this evidence out there that is pointing straight to creation and saying, you know, this is truth, this is fact? I have scientific evidence that points to a young earth, which is what the Bible teaches, that, that we're, the earth is about 6,000 years old, if you look at the genealogies in the Old Testament. Okay? Evolutionists say the earth is billions of years old, mm -hmm. like 4.5 billion years old. Yeah. Okay? Um, so I have much scientific evidence that points to well, a young earth. For example, you know, if, if pond scum becomes frogs and then elephants and, and monkeys and people, that's going to take a long time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the belief that, that the universe is, is really, really old comes from that, at least in part. Sure. Okay. There's much evidence of a young earth, which would support the Bible's view of creation and much evidence of the flood. And I'd be glad to share some of that with you. Yeah, that'd be great. Should I do that? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let me start uh, with this article talking about the age of the earth. Um, one of the areas of debate between creationists and evolutionists is the age of the earth. Prior to the widespread adoption of evolution in the 1800s, much of the Western world believed the Bible to be reliable history and therefore thought that the earth was relatively young, about 6,000 years or so. However, when the philosophy of evolution was adopted and applied to science, people began to believe the earth was very old, millions if not billions of years old. After all, as we just said, it would take a long time for ponds come to change into parrots, porpoises, and people. The first 11 chapters of the Bible were then considered to be myth at this point, right? Hmm. In this view, which is taught by most seminaries today that teach, that, you know, that train pastors, and this is the unfortunate thing. Most seminaries teach this. Really? Theological truth can be taken from the first 11 chapters of Genesis. 
but the events they record did not actually happen. Hmm. All right. However, there is much scientific evidence that points to a young Earth. Take carbon-14, for example. Carbon-14 dating can only be done on things that used to be alive. All right. All plants and animals contain carbon, including um, some carbon-14. As they continue to live, carbon is added to their tissues. So we all contain carbon, anything that's alive, okay? Then the unstable carbon-14 begins to decay after these creatures die. The carbon-14 begins to decay into nitrogen-14. To determine the age of something, scientists measure the amount of carbon-14 left. Scientists have found that carbon-14 has a half-life of 5,720 years. So after 5,720 years, only one half of the original carbon-14 would be left. After another 5,720 years, one fourth would be left, and so on. Since the carbon-14 keeps decaying, after about 18 divisions, representing about 100,000 years, there's not enough left for a mass spectrometer machine to measure it. And after about 40 divisions, representing about 220,000 years, there should not be a single atom of carbon-14 left. Mm -hmm. For years, Bible-believing scientists have been radiocarbon dating materials such as fossils, coal, and diamonds, found at various levels in the geological rock layers. Evolution-believing scientists never bother to radiocarbonate such things because they have been conditioned to believe that the surrounding rock layers are millions of years old. Therefore, in their minds, it's impossible to find any carbon-14 within any of these items, like fossils, coal, or diamonds, okay? Yet fossils, coal, and diamonds do contain carbon-14. And the amount of carbon-14 left in the samples always seems to fall within the same range, um, 5 to 12% of modern levels. The same 5 to 12% level is found regardless of where the sample came from in the rock layers. Thus, the very earliest forms of life in the rock layers, these layers assumed to be 500 million years old by evolutionists, have essentially the same amount of carbon-14 as things found in upper rock layers, assumed to be five million years old. This means that all the rock layers were laid down during one event. Hmm. Because all the life found in these rock layers is essentially the same age, based on carbon-14 dating. So what do evolutionists do with this evidence? Basically, they assume that such carbon-14 is just what they call background contamination. However, what the evidence of measurable levels of carbon-14 in fossils actually reveals is that these layers were laid down a short, quote-unquote, short time ago and all at once. When we put on our biblical glasses, these fossils were laid down about 4,400 years ago in the flood of Noah's time. So the point is here that there would be, if, if fossils, which are from live creatures, Mm-hmm. coal and diamonds which are from plants life creatures 
If they were over a hundred thousand years old, yeah. like evolutionists believe they're millions of years old, there would be no detectable carbon fourteen within them. But there is. Yeah. So they can't be that old. <laughs> There's other scientific data that points to a young earth, such as soft tissue found in dinosaur bones. All right? This is a big thing. They found soft tissue in dinosaur bones. Wow. And they and evolutionists say that dinosaurs died out sixty five million years ago. Can't be. It can't be. And and evolution will say, Oh, iron uh has protected these soft tissues and protected them from from decaying. But that's, you know, I've read scientific arguments that say that's not at all mm -hmm. the truth. Um, the Earth's rapidly decaying magnetic field. Let me share something about that in just a second. These are scientific things that point to a young Earth. We're talking about a 6,000-year-old Earth. But you never hear these things taught in public school. Right. Right. I've heard the debate before of like the Grand Canyon and how it would take, you know, millions and millions of years for it to form with just water slowly moving through it. And then um, just the biblical perspective of, OK, well, what if there was this a big event, you know, like the flood? And that's, you know, what helped mm -hmm. cause some of these things. So do you think that kind of had a big effect on the world, just the flood? Oh. And the flood of Noah's day had a massive effect on this planet because the Bible indicates it was a massive worldwide flood. It was cataclysmic. It changed the world in cataclysmic ways from what it was prior to the flood. There was rain that came down 40 days and 40 nights, <clears throat> but not only that, water came up from the deep, from, mm. from underground, and there were no doubt like volcanoes erupting and all kinds of things, massively changing the, the earth as we know it, and causing things like the Grand Canyon. Let me, let me read one other thing that's interesting along those lines since you brought up the yep. flood here. In Peru, there's a 370-acre deposit containing at least 346 wonderfully preserved fossil whales. It's a whale graveyard. These bones are buried in a sedimentary rock called diatomite. Diatomite is made from the remains of diatoms, or single-celled algae. Today, when diatoms die, their microscopic glass-like skeletons accumulate on the ocean bottom. It takes about 400 million skeletons to make one gram of diatomite. These are very small creatures, okay? An inch of diatom skeletons on the ocean bottom would currently take about 1,000 years to accumulate. These whales are buried in 260 feet of fossilized diatoms. Oh my goodness. That means if the evolutionary time frame of the Earth is correct, it would have taken millions of years for these whales to be covered, you know, gradually, little by little. <laughs> but if it took millions of years to cover these bones, there is no possibility that they would still exist. Scavengers and bacteria could have decayed these whale bones long before they could have been covered. Yeah. Yet we find them well-preserved and intact with no evidence of decay. Along with these 346 whale fossils, fossils of porpoises, turtles, seals, ground sloths, and penguins are also found. 
For these dead creatures to avoid decay, they had to have been buried rapidly, deeply, and catastrophically. The biblical model of a recent catastrophic flood of Noah's day would fit such evidence far better than the millions of years of slow sediment accumulation. The whale graveyard shouts that the flood of Noah's day was a real event, and that shouts that the Bible can be trusted. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. that's really yeah. interesting. That yeah. A lot of that stuff, like, just because the whole evolution idea is so normalized by society, they put it forward as truth and as fact. Some of these things that you're sharing with us, we you could never find out about unless you really dig for that information. And this is where creation scientists are a great resource. And there are some great creation science organizations where you can find out this kind of information and, and books and that kind of thing sure. that you wouldn't find out normally. A big thank you to Pastor Kent Otterman for taking the time to discuss with us the different viewpoints of evolution versus creationism. Of course, there's a vast amount of scientific evidence that directly supports a divine creator and the truth of the Bible. Therefore, we've decided to split this interview into two separate parts. Join us next week for the second half of the interview, where we dive into more evidence supporting a young earth and even discuss the possibility of dinosaurs living alongside human beings. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. And I mean, come on people, dinosaurs? Since you made it this far into the podcast, and I know you're still listening, hear me out for just a second. I know we all know someone in our lives who doesn't have the hope of Jesus. In Matthew 28, God commands us to go and make disciples. Ella and I have worked so hard to create a podcast that clearly displays the gospel and the truth of God's word. However, if the truth doesn't get into the ears of the one who needs it, nothing will happen. Let's all go out and make disciples today. Take this week's podcast, or maybe last week's, whatever's your favorite, and send them the link. It's a very non-confrontational way to begin speaking the truth into someone's life. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our show. As always, we'd like to remind our listeners that we're born into a broken world. With that being said, we're not perfect, and we ask our supporters to always fact check our words and opinions on the one and only truth of the Bible. We would absolutely love to hear your episode suggestions or feedback. Check us out on Instagram by typing not me but you productions into the search bar. Thanks again for the love and support.